Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober as Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. And today I want to do a mental health episode. And the subject that we're going to talk about today is manic depression and bipolar depression. This subject is really deep for me. Um, I think there's a big correlation between being manic and addiction having depressive symptoms and addiction and um, bipolar symptoms and addiction. And I also think, and as you guys well know, I think that the idea and concept of mental health can't be a separate conversation from addiction and our recovery. I think they go hand in hand. And I think we should have a permanent mental health conversation. That's why the Sober is Dope podcast is committed to a lifelong mental health awareness campaign. Because I think in myself, I saw in retrospect a lot of mental health issues tied to my addiction. And when talking to other people, I think the the symptoms tend to overlap. And they tend to um, correlate together. There's a correlation between um, being depressed and alcoholism, for example, and alcohol being a depressant. There's a correlation between mania and being manic and drug use. And the symptoms kind of mirror each other. And I think a lot of people with mental health issues... Um, self-medicate with drugs and alcohol to help, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. I think it's a form of self-medication. And with education and understanding, we can combat this issue, right? So for, you know, for me now, instead of me going to grab a beer when I'm depressed or angry, I tend to just do something else, right? Um, and I'm comfortable with that. I found a different routine. I have a different go-to plan and I don't self-medicate. I promote, um, personally promote, you know, seeking professional medical help, getting professional medication if you need it. So you don't have to self-medicate, right? Being properly diagnosed, um, with whatever issue you're going through. So today I just want to talk about bipolar disorder. I'm going to be playing clips from one of my favorite psychiatrists, um, and, um, mentors, Dr. Tracy Marks. Um, I love her work personally. I'm a personal fan. I think she's the clearest um, out there. Um, I, my go-to places for psych and mental health stuff is Healthline, Psych2Go, Psychiatry, Psychology.com, and um, Dr. Tracy Marks, which is like our unofficial resident psychiatry. I use her clips because I'm a fan of hers and I believe in her clarity and her ability to break things down. But first, I want to look at manic, 
what it is to be manic, what it is to what's mania. Let's look at the the term manic and break that down. Um, so when we go into more of the technical jargon and conversation, we could have a point to follow. A manic episode is an emotional state characterized by a period of at least one week where an elevated, expansive, or unusually irritable mood exists. People describe a manic mood as feeling very euphoric on top of the world and being able to do or accomplish anything. Symptoms tend to be euphoria. The signs of mania in bipolar disorder include disconnected and very fast racing thoughts, grandiose beliefs, inappropriate elation or euphoria, inappropriate irritability, inappropriate social behavior, increased sexual desire, Increased talking speed or volume, markedly increased energy. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to take a quick break here. You can see that some of these symptoms mirror um, symptoms that we exhibit when we use alcohol or drugs. When you use alcohol or drugs, you're disconnected and you have very fast racing thoughts. You have grandiose beliefs, inappropriate relation or euphoria, inappropriate irritability, inappropriate social behavior, increased sexual desire, increased talking speed or volume, markedly um, increased energy. So you see that how they overlap, right? And one and, and, and we can make that connection. Um, and I think that's very important to me because um, I think I exhibited a lot of manic behavior patterns when I was drunk or using alcohol, right? So that's something to be just noted. Um, possible causes of hypomania or mania include high levels of stress, right? So that's a real big one. Stress is a real big one. That's why on the Sober's Dope podcast, we talk about practicing mindfulness, practicing deep breathing, practicing meditation, practicing positive thoughts and stuff like that. It helps to reduce stress, practicing prayer and um and um abstinence from drugs and alcohol. Changes in sleep patterns or lack of sleep. So you may notice this a lot. This may be a cause of the mania. Like, are you sleeping on a regular consistent schedule? Are you going to bed and waking up at the same time? Um, So this is something to keep in mind. Using recreational drugs or alcohol. Possible causes of hypomania or mania include using recreational drugs or alcohol. We talk about this in terms of self-medication. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is deep because they're saying here this is a possible cause, right? So that means most of us at a very young age experience an extremely stressful situation, maybe an extreme loss of a loved one, maybe a bad breakup, maybe something that um, changed our neuroplasticity or how our brain, our brain at a young age, triggering depressive symptoms, thus 
forcing us to try to find a way to self-medicate. So that's how you see someone that has a long history of addiction tied to some form of mania, bipolar, or depressive symptoms, right? Because we tend to use these recreational drugs and alcohol as self-medication. Seasonal changes, for example, some people are more likely to experience hypomania and mania in spring. So that the weather, the seasons could trigger this. What is manic depressive behavior? Manic depressive, manic depression, alternating moods of abnormal highs, which is mania, and lows, which is depression. Called bipolar disorder because of the swings between these opposing poles in mood. A type of depressive disease. Sometimes severe episodes of mania or depression include symptoms of psychosis or psychotic symptoms. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a beautiful distinction here. Um, why do we call manic depression a bipolar disorder? Because when your mood is high... Right, it's this alternating pendulum, right? It's this the your mood. Think about it as an internal mood pendulum that goes back and forth, back and forth, right? And when it's at a high point, that's your mania, meaning that you're extremely, your mood is extremely excited, you're extremely euphoric, you seem extremely happy, you're gun ho, and then it could totally crash, and then you're immediately depressed. Um, it's really deep because it really happens like instantaneously. It's like one moment you could be on a high and then something would trigger you right back to that same word. So look, ladies and gentlemen, we're looking at the correlation between addiction and, um, mental health here. And you see that something can help you trigger Going from manic to depressive, right? And that's why they say it's bipolar. One minute you're up, one minute you're down. Um, what to do if someone is manic, right? That's a good question. 11 ways to support someone during mania. So if you know someone that suffers from this or that's dealing with this, here's some things you could do. Avoid patronizing or combative words. Now... The same thing goes for someone that's under the influence. You see what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen? Being under the influence of drugs or alcohol is similar in my in my in my experience of someone dealing with mental health issues and bipolar issues or manic depression. So in my personal case, I'm working on this because there's people in my life that I love that struggle with this. And I remember when I struggled with this and I remember sometimes people was really patient with me and sometimes people just couldn't deal with it, right? But I, I was always hurt, no matter what. I, I always felt like, damn, I want to do better, but I don't know why I'm struggling this way. I don't mean to make people upset, but I'm going through something. And I always felt like I was kind of screwing up. I always felt like I was like a burden to people. And I always felt really upset with myself. And if you're out there and you're struggling with mental health and or addiction or both, right? I want to say this. This is from Pop Buchanan to you. I want you to understand no matter what 
point you are in um, in your addiction, no matter where you're at in your mental health, no matter if today's a bad day and you feel terrible and lousy, no matter if you out there and you relapsed and you're using again, it doesn't matter if you didn't take your medication and you had a relapse of your symptoms. That's all part of your healing process. That's all part of the process of recovery. And I think this has to be the bigger conversation because we're all going to relapse at some point um, in our stages in life, whether it's with a food addiction, whether it's with sex addiction, whether we're, we're having a trigger that caused us to relapse and go back into depressive symptoms, whether it's alcohol or drugs. But that's all part of the learning curve and that's all part of you being on that journey to recovery right and then one day you know you're gonna sit back and say i have this many years clean or this many years symptom free or this many years sober but i have a story to tell because it was a lot of highs and a lot of lows so if you're out there please don't beat yourself up that's the most important thing i would like to say like if you're dealing with mental health you most likely experiencing the same symptoms and highs and lows as someone that's dealing with addiction it's like we're kissing cousins and it's just something that we have to deal with together that's why i include um this subject in the sober's dope podcast because in my mind there's no difference between addiction and mental health i think it's all part of the same thing the brain is a powerful machine it's a powerful computer right uh, and our minds is almost supernatural at times so we have a lot of issues that can go wrong it has a lot of things that could go right we're in this together so just don't beat yourself up and no matter where you're at and no matter what stage you're at you're not too far away from your recovery so keep fighting um 11 ways to support someone during mania. Avoid patronizing and combative words. So let's watch how we talk to people. Let's be try to be a little patient. Don't take things personally. So if someone is having an addiction uh, or, or they're having psychotic issues or they're having depressive issues or they're showing inappropriate behavior and they're being, let's just be blunt. If someone is being really annoying and they're being very disruptive because of their mental health issues or because of their addiction, it's very important for you not to take it personally because we're dealing with a disease. We're dealing with an illness. We're dealing with a, psych, a, a, a psychosis or some type of mental health ailment. We're dealing with some type of situation that goes beyond the norm. So we have to not take it personally and try to exercise radical patience. Try to keep them company. Now, this is difficult for me. I told you guys that one of the things that rubs me the wrong way and it's a trigger for me is dealing with or being around somebody that's extremely intoxicated or someone that's being kind of extremely negative. So my thing is this. If you're around someone who's exp expressing some form of mania, meaning that they're very excited and they're in a good mood, you might not be on the same level. As many times where I remember being very um lucid and very energetic and extremely euphoric and excited when i was um drinking and people around me is like yo i'm studying for a term paper and i'm not 
right there with you right now. I'm not. You're on cloud ninety, and I'm trying to drink coffee and stu- and, and, and study this exam. So sometimes someone is not going to necessarily be on the same level as you. But if you love the person, try to be there for them. My thing is with me, I'm trying to right now, my personal thing that I'm working on, right, is being patient when someone is intoxicated around me. And if someone is intoxicated in a way where they're being negative and belligerent, I have to remember that that's not them. Um, and that the person is suffering from a disease and an illness and I have to be able to love and have empathy and compassion. So this is work that we can all do as humans, right? To help each other. Put yourself in the other person's shoes first. Really try to think about where they're coming from, but you have to lose your ego for a bit. And then say to yourself, what if I was struggling with this disease? How would I want this person to treat me? And that will help you find some compassion and empathy, right? So just a little word to the wise. Keep that in mind. Protect them from harm, especially financial harm, physical harm, or them hurting themselves. So if someone is extremely um, manic, meaning extremely excited, they're jumping off the roof, they're having a good time, they're all over the place, right? You might have to, when they're at that high, protect them, especially financially. Because I remember myself, when I was really drunk and I was expressing, expressing manic symptoms, I'll give away all my money. I'll go to the bar, drinks for everyone. I'll start spending rent money, drinks for everyone. Oh, you have, you need a cab home? Here's $50. The guy could live around the corner. Go $10 cab. Here's $50. Here's another $50. Go get some dinner on me. I'm at, you know, I'm giving money away, actually. Then when I wake up the next day and I'm sober again, or I wake up and I go in my pockets, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened to all my money? And they're like, well, you bought everybody in the bar drinks and dinner. And the bill came up to 500 and, you know, you're an idiot, right? That's what, you know, my friends would say to me. But anyway, lo and behold, got to protect yourself when you're very excited. You got to try to protect the person that's that make sure they're not spending all their money. Make sure they're not hurting themselves. All right. Take away phones or passwords if agreed upon. Um, I don't know too much about this. I think in a cell phone age, touching someone else's phone is taboo. Don't do it. It's wrong. My thing is... Just be there and be patient with a person and um, encourage their behaviors within reason. Give their doctor or psychiatrist a call if necessary. So this is if someone is expressing extreme mania, you got to use these things. Just be mindful, right? How do you know you are manic? How do you know if you're manic, right? Common signs and symptoms of mania include feeling unusually high and optimistic or extremely irritable so you see you're gonna see these terms um together a lot with manic um issues irritability high euphoria optimistic so either you're gonna be extremely irritable meaning that you could be on a high and if someone tries to interject and try to check you or try to give you some advice or try to you know calm you down or try to bring you back to a calm focal point you could get irritated and very combative right 
Um, that was me in the case. I was very defensive sometimes. If someone tried to say, hey, Pop, why don't we just kind of slow down to drinking and go get something to eat? And, or, hey, why don't you take a nap or something? The person could be right 100% right on, man. And I would just very, get very defensive and very, and I was extremely irritable. Because, you know, you're, ex- you're very excited and you're, a f- you're, 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 you're euphoric. But your body is still tired, you're physically drained, but your brain is still on a thousand, so you're not really healthy. So it's like a real tricky gray area there with someone who's dealing with manic. It's like you're happy and euphoric, but you're not really supposed to be. Like, not at this level, you know? Someone could be, it could seem like they just won a Grammy and it's award night and they're celebrating and it could be like 10 o'clock in the morning. On a Sunday, you know, and so you can see what I'm saying. Them, their, their, um, optimism or joy and euphoria sometimes would seem so bizarre if you're someone that's look like on the outside looking in, right? So that takes a lot of mental energy and physical energy. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So that's why when you see someone that's sick and they're struggling in this way, they could really be physically and mentally depleted and still expressing these symptoms. But that comes with a sense of irritability, right? Because they're tired and they're exhausted and most likely drained. So just keep that in mind. Um... Common signs and symptoms of mania also include unrealistic, grandiose beliefs and one's abilities or powers, sleeping very little but feeling extremely energetic, talking so rapidly that others can't keep up, alright? I definitely was manic in retrospect looking at this, um, but... You know, I'm not anymore. So some people could be like, you know, you can heal. I think I'm in full blown remission for my manic um, symptoms. You know, um, and that's that's beautiful. I remember my um, caseworker when I was in rehab. After about I think six months in, when I started to change and slow down, she used to always say when I when you first walked in here, you know. She called me Joe. She said, Joe, when you first walked in here, your first couple of months, you would speak so fast and be so excited and have so much energy that we couldn't even keep up with what you were saying. Like, you had so much to say. And she was saying that to congratulate me on how much I changed because six months in, I was able to sit down and have a regular conversation and be really measured and chill. But she was like, yo, when you first came in, Joe, it was crazy. You was all over the place, but you was good, but you was extremely excited to express yourself. So I think that I was dealing with these, um, with, I was, I guess I was a bit manic, right? Um, and when I would hit my lows, I would drink, right? And to try to get me back up to a high. If if that makes any sense So I could relate to this The most important thing is For anyone in the mental health community I'm letting you know you're not alone So as I read through this stuff I'm just trying to let you know Like I could relate to this So you're not alone Don't feel bad But know that you you can get to a better place All right, Um, Because I'm in a better place And I just hope that gives you some hope And encouragement All right, what does a bipolar person act like, right? Good question. 
Bipolar disorder is a mental illness marked by extreme changes in moods from high to low and from low to high. Highs are periods of mania while lows are period of depression. We talked about that. The changes in mood may become mixed. So you might feel elated and depressed at the same time. There we go. We just hit another. This is this is good. Now, now we're making progress. So you may hit, if you're bipolar, this is really powerful. You may have depressive feelings and um, euphoric feelings at the same time. So ladies and gentlemen, this is real deep. So you can have your highs and lows at the same time. That means that you, you know, that's really tough because it's hard to really determine exactly how far you're going to go from the left to the right. So you got to keep that in mind. What triggers mania? Here we go again. Mental health and triggers, addiction and triggers. Same things, right? While many bipolar disorders, disorder triggers center around stressors, goal attainment and other positive events can also elicit mood episodes, particularly mania or hypermania events such as winning an award getting a promotion falling in love or even going on vacation may act as triggers initiating a dangerous cycle so i could relate to this right like you go to an you have like an end of year party or celebration everything is good you leave on a high note this level of excitement could be an event trigger that causes you to go to a high especially if you're manic and you're drinking or you're doing drugs and you're self-medicating that could lead to an addictive binge that could also lead to a manic or depressive low once you crash so you have to watch these events you have to watch your triggers you have to watch your stresses my advice here is put your life in perspective. When you're thinking about your future, try to go back to mindfulness, right? I will say, write out a five-year plan so you don't get too troubled by ruminating thoughts of the future, right? I, or I'm not where I'm supposed to be today. So that's thoughts of guilt, successful guilt, where you are in your life and um, comparison to others. Watch comparison. Don't stress yourself too much about where you are or where you've been. Just keep up. Just keep just be mindful of the potential of where you're going to be and how far you can go and cut yourself some slack for God's sake. Right. Just remember, no matter what, everyone is fighting and we're all going to get to where we need to get to in time. Time is always on our side. I don't care what age you're at. What age you are, time is always on your side. So give yourself a break and don't pressure yourself so much. Um, and watch out for the triggers that can initiate this dangerous cycle. It's very important. Can a bipolar person truly love? That's a deep question. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know at this point in the mental health community, um, mania and manic is considered bipolar so when you hear someone talk about manic or mania or manic depression it's it, it's it's a bipolar um diagnosis meaning that manic is one to high depression is the low 
Now, I never knew this, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I could do these episodes because I'm able to educate myself. I used to just be like, oh, when somebody say that person's manic, I don't know if they always know. It's kind of one of those terms we throw around, but we don't even know why we're saying they're manic. It may not be a proper diagnosis or the use of the word. Um, because you could say a person's manic when they're, when they're exhibiting depressive symptoms and it would be, you know, that person is depressed or sad or they're at a low. And if a person is truly manic, um, we tend to sometime, I think, mix up mania with some obsessive compulsive disorder or, um, other forms of mental health or disorders. But when you're talking about mania, we're talking about manic depression. We're talking about bipolar disorder. So now that's clear for me. So when I see the word mania or manic, I know that's a bipolar issue. I know that has a high and a low component and it's a depressive component also. And it's, it deals with mood instability, right? So uh, uh, um, when your mood is unstable, you have a problem being um, in one state at a time for a certain period of time, and that could be problematic for you and frustrating to the person that's suffering, right? Because it has to be, it was hard for me to be up and then down and up and then down and up and then down. And I'm telling you, it'll be days when I wake up and I'll be on such a low and my dopamine levels will be all screwed up because I've been drinking so much and you know, Alcohol addiction robs your brain of its available dopamine stores, and then that creates a cycle of addiction where your brain looks for the alcohol to replace the lost dopamine, and then you consistently need to drink, and that creates this vicious cycle. So what happens is dopamine helps regulate mood, right? So if I have no more available dopamine and I'm already manic and depressive and I'm trying to self-medicate, but I don't have enough dopamine to feel good. And now my brain is identifying the dopamine as the alcohol. I'm going to keep looking to the alcohol to make me feel normal. And that creates the addiction because the alcohol now is acting as the dopamine. So no matter if I'm highly, if I'm excited, it's just because of my mood instability and the alcohol now is creating this excitement followed by an immediate crash because alcohol is a depressant uh, 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 yeah depressant so it's a terrible cycle to be in especially if you're using it to self-medicate with an already pre-existing depressive disorder so ladies and gentlemen keep that in mind alcohol is one of the worst things we could use as a go-to um but it's not necessarily bad in the sense where you and follow me for a minute. I'm not saying alcohol is good. And I'm not encouraging anyone to drink. I'm saying to anyone out there that's suffering from manic depressive symptoms, bipolar disorder, or um, mental health disorders that's using alcohol and drugs to self-medicate. I want you to know that you are in a form. You're, you're trying to treat yourself. You're self-medicating and you're trying to help yourself. And that means that you're taking some steps to um, correct your situation, but you're probably going about it the wrong way. There's better ways, but I don't want you beating yourself up because you're self-medicating. I just want you to understand that that's not the best way to self-medicate, and it's not a end to. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be an end to the symptoms. It's gonna. It's gonna pretty much 
create more problematic um, symptoms and it's going to create a larger problem in the long run. So just keep that in mind. I don't want to beat anyone up no more. I'm done with the judgment. I'm done with looking at I can't. Mental health is too sensitive. Everyone is trying to figure it out. Some people don't have the knowledge or the understanding to know about their, their, they don't know if they have these symptoms. People are probably walking around right now that's extremely manic and depressive and bipolar one, two, um, having dysthymia, um, um, high functioning depression and all of these other um, disorders, which I can name hundreds of disorders um, in the mental health community. And they are trying to find a way to self-medicate because they can't, Real, they don't really understand what they're suffering from. Maybe they was misdiagnosed. Maybe someone dropped the ball. Maybe they're figuring it out. We don't know where you are on your journey. So we have to have a lot of compassion and try to keep putting information out there, sharing stories, sharing symptoms. So if someone comes across this podcast that's that's suffering from this situation, they can at least say, wait, I identify what that guy is saying. Or that lady is saying, I can identify with these things. Maybe I have this issue. It opens up the conversation and it puts us one step closer to finding healing, right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read through a few more facts and then I'm going to get into the message from Dr. Tracy Marks. For, I, I, I'm not going to ask you guys to forgive me for being long-winded. This is a mental health topic. I love mental health. I'm trying to, we're trying to just spread the awareness. So we have to do a little bit of the work sometime. But I would ask you for your patience and um, just acknowledge that I'm just trying to bring this information to you guys um, in a way where it could click. And, um, and this is an educational episode. So I hope that you're getting some value from it. All right, moving along. Can a bipolar person truly love? I like this. For people with um, bipolar, lovesick can be more than a metaphor. There is a very strong similarity between that swept away experience of being in love and that of mania. There is a very strong similarity between that swept away experience of being in love and that of mania. All right, well, so, all right, so they, what they're trying to say here, I definitely think that you could be in love, you could have love if you're bipolar, all right, let's not get crazy, I think um, humans know the difference between real love and fake love, and if they don't, time will always tell, right, so... But, you know, I encourage if you're bipolar, don't feel like you can't love. I know there's issues of if you're bipolar and manic, can you be faithful? Be can you be sexually faith faithful? Um, this is an issue. And maybe we'll do another episode on that. But again, from my own experience, I have the ability to be faithful. And I was definitely manic, right? Boom. There you have it. How, how are you tested for bipolar? To determine if you have bipolar disorder, your evalu evaluation may include physical exam. Your doctor may do a physical exam and lab test to identify any medical problems that could be causing your symptoms. Psychiatric assessment, um, mood charting, mood charting, and criteria for bipolar disorder. Um, so you might want a physical exam and see a psych psychiatrist. That's what I think. They're the best ones to determine if you are truly 
manic depressive and have bipolar disorder, all right? How do you calm a manic episode? Managing a manic episode. Maintain a stable sleep pattern. Here we go again with sleep. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're a doctor or if you're struggling as a bipolar person and you're dealing with mania and depression, you have to have a stable sleep pattern. Stay on a daily routine. Routine, for me, this is the one thing that helps me every day routine. I swear to everything. My brain seeks it. I have to get up no matter if I want to or not. I I need to get up every day at the same time. I need to have or around the same period of time. So my thing is give yourself a range. It's like try to be up every day. Like for me, I have to be up every day between 7 and 8 a.m., right? Closer to 7 is better Closer to eight is pushing it because I'll be more rushing. But that's the window that I operate best um, in. And trying to go to bed by 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock helps me out also. Right. I'm trying to get it down to 10 p.m., but um, I'm working on it. So a stable sleep pattern means the world to the brain. You know how important sleep is. Um, Shout out to Sean Stevenson from the Model Health Show who wrote um, the number one book on sleep, um, Sleep Smarter. It's one of the amazing books in the sleep space, so check that out. Um, A stable daily routine. Set realistic goals. Realistic goals. Like, um, now, I tell you guys a lot on the podcast, dream big, go big. But at the same time, you have to set a series of realistic goals along the way of the big bang, the big bang, right? That big bang dream that we want, you know, getting that Grammy award, you know, um, getting that Emmy, getting that Oscar, getting that MTV award, getting that music award, hitting the billboard charts, writing that book, getting that book on Oprah's book club, you know, um, starting that business, making your first million dollars. That's, I never want to tell anyone, don't be realistic about that and even though one of the symptoms of being manic is having grandiose beliefs never lose those grandiose beliefs but make sure you understand that they're grandiose and it's going to take a hell of a lot of work to get there so you have to constantly be building and transforming and making sacrifices and building steps towards that larger grandiose goal or belief So what I want you to do is set a series of realistic goals along the way so you don't fall victim to just um, daydreaming and just, you know, hitting goals, um, you know, setting goals that you'll never be able to truly attain. Don't set yourself up for failure. Don't say you want to be an astronaut and you're not in school, right? Don't do it. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be an astronaut unless you're already studying in certain programs and you're online and you're looking at the requirements and you make sure you're at the right age and the right health and you have the prerequisites to be an astronaut. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but don't say I want to be an astronaut then cry because you're watching TV all day and you never filled out a form or went to a class. That's just a base example, right? I'm not going to say I want to be a race car driver and I don't have a driver's license, all right? So just be realistic about what you want and set realistic goals so you don't disappoint yourself. All right, let's 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 wrap this up. Do not use alcohol or legal drugs under any circumstances. You're listening to the Sober as Dope podcast, right? We encourage you to use sobriety as a tool to help your mental health. My mental health symptoms all but disappeared. I'm human and all humans are going to have mental health issues. 
What does that mean? We're all going to have a certain level of fears, anxiety, frustrations, reaction to stress. But we have healthy levels of these things and we have coping mechanisms that can help us live a normal life. Right. But when it becomes unmanageable, it tips the scale in the mental health um, spectrum. So my thing is um, use like practice trying to figure out a program on getting off of alcohol and drugs. That's going to help you. If you're manic and bipolar and suffering from depressive lows a lot, um, especially more than a high, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. It's going to make you feel good initially. Then you're going to feel really bad again. And you're going to feel worse and worse every time you come off of that alcoholic high. And I noticed from firsthand experience, it was the worst feeling because I could feel like it was a, I could feel like I was on top of the world and then the next day just feel like total shit and be like, I don't feel good. I don't remember what I said, any commitments I made. I didn't, I don't want to keep, I'm not the same person that was making those promises the day before. So it was almost like I was like a different person because I, the next day I couldn't remember that energy. I couldn't match that. So I'll go back to drink to try to find that whole energy again, that happiness, that euphoria. And it was so temporary. It was always a fleeting feeling. It never lasted. It was like the, a smoke screen of happiness. It was just not real. And I realized that this shit is a real drug and it's like uh, it's some form of sorcery, right? So alcohol comes from the Greek word alcohol and it's not really, it's like poison or toxin. And, you know, drugs comes from the word pharmac, the Greek word pharmakia, which means a form of magic and sorcery. So we notice, ladies and gentlemen, um, these drugs and stuff is not normal it does a lot more damage to our brains than good and it's not the best form of self-medication so look try to get on an abstinence program try to get find your sobriety and deal with the medication your doctor's prescriptions eating healthy fixing your mind body connection there's also something called the gut brain connection that like if you if you fix your diet your nutrition and your sleep patterns you can improve your natural neurotransmitter hormones and raise those levels up and get yourself healthier all right so just keep that in mind Keep track of your mood every day and continue treatment. All right, let's wrap up. What are four types of bipolar? All the cycles can be much longer, lasting up to several weeks or even months. According to the American Psychiatric Association, there are four major categories of bipolar disorder. Bipolar 1 disorder, bipolar 2 disorder, cyclothymic disorder, and bipolar disorder due to another medical or substance abuse disorder. Boom! Here we go. You can have a bipolar disorder due to a substance abuse disorder. Hello. So if you're out there and you're drinking and doing drugs and you're bipolar manic, maybe if you stop drinking and doing drugs, maybe those symptoms will eventually go away. Like in my case, right? I was a perfect example of being bipolar due to a substance abuse. All right. So here you have it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop there because I could go on all day talking about this subject because I'm passionate about it. These are some notes that I took. And um, I love you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to cut to a message from our sponsor. Um, and then we're going to go into Dr. Tracy's Mark's explanation on things we could do to manage our bipolar disorder symptoms. And then we're going to have another um, segment where we talk about... Um, 
bipolar um, and um, depressive symptoms. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a lengthy episode, but it's a lot of goodies here. You got to admit, I'm trying to bring it. I love you all. My name is Pop Buchanan. You're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'll catch you on the other side. How to manage bipolar disorder. That's what I'm talking about in this video today. I'm Dr. Tracy Marks, a psychiatrist, and on this channel, I talk about mental health education and self-improvement. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about how to control your bipolar disorder. Now, the mainstay of treatment for bipolar disorder is medication, but I'm going to be talking about things you can do to help prevent or even manage symptoms in addition to taking medication. So this is not instead of. Number one, identify things that trigger an episode, either an episode of depression or mania. Some examples of this would be things like work stress, arguments with family members, um, and a huge one is not getting enough sleep. And it's pretty common in the spring and the summer for the longer days to trigger a manic or a hypomanic episode because people will start sleeping less. So you wanna write down these triggers and we'll use them in step six. Number two, keep a record of your moods in the form of a mood diary. And this doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to go buy a book. You could even use the download that I have for you. I'll have a free download for you. Um, the link will be in the description um, of a summary of, of this video today, as well as a few other um, forms that I'll be going over. But this first one is the mood diary. So you're gonna use this diary to monitor your progress or notice when your moods are coming on. That's essentially all it is. Number three, establish a daily routine. And this is important for anyone because we all need structure, but people with bipolar disorder are particularly uh, sensitive to changes in structure and routine. So the triggers that we listed in step one are some of the things that can destabilize or disrupt your routine. So here's what a routine should consist of, a few basic things at least. So you'd wanna have a regular time that you wake up and a regular time that you go to bed. You also wanna have a regular time frame that you eat your meals. And you should think of these points as anchor points throughout your day. And then all your other activities would be filled in around those anchor points. Now I realize you're not gonna always be able to control your work and your school schedule. But if you don't have these anchor points, then you never even think about it. And then you just have this kind of free floating day um, that just kind of comes and goes however it goes. And that's the kind of thing that can really lead to say sleep deprivation when you're in a manic episode or starting to get there. And the sleep deprivation is really what can trigger another or a manic or hypomanic episode. The opposite problem of an unstructured day is the tendency to sleep all day when you're depressed. So what do we do to help prevent that problem? Is number four, have an activity plan that you implement when you start oversleeping or withdrawing from people when you're in the depressed phase. And it's kind of like having a disaster management plan in place before the hurricane comes. So. Let's say your normal bedtime routine is sleeping from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. But when you're depressed, you're going to bed around 9 and waking up around 9 in the morning. 
And this would be the for, for the person who's got a flexible work schedule, or maybe you work from home, so no one really knows when you're getting up. When this, when you start doing this, that's when you pull out your activity plan, which would have things on it like walking the dog, um, taking a walk around the neighborhood, going to the library, vacuuming the house. These are just a few examples, but they're activities that force you to get your body moving, even if you're just slogging through in your depressed state, because any amount of activity and movement is an improvement. And this is what we call behavioral activation therapy. It's a little more complicated than this, but this is just one example of it. When you become manic, you'll start going to bed even later and waking up earlier. So instead of sleeping from say 6 or 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., you start sleeping from two to five or two to six. And you feel fine, you know, that it's not like you wake up feeling sleep deprived, but the sleep deprivation has the cumulative effect of churning up a, a manic state. And to combat this, you can implement dark therapy, and that's number five. There's been more studies showing a connection between bipolar disorder and your body clock. And people with bipolar disorder can be particularly sensitive to the light-dark schedule. So an intervention to help with mania would be, to, would be the dark therapy. And what this means is keeping yourself in a dark environment from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. for a total of 14 hours. Now, that's what they did in the studies. I know this is impractical for most people, so a substitute actually would be using blue light blocking glasses from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. And this has the same effect because it's blocking the blue light, which is the light that really affects your body clock. It's a similar light as sunlight. And I have more videos about the body clock. You could take a look there in the upper corner. So in the study, where the people use the blue light blocking glasses, they use them for seven days straight or seven nights straight for the 14 hours a day. Now, I wear these every evening, not starting at 6 p.m., but when I'm relaxing, getting ready for bed, reading on my iPad or watching YouTube videos, and I use it to block the light to keep it, or block the blue light that's coming from the device to keep it from interfering with my sleep. And I typically fall asleep in them. They're not comfortable, but nonetheless, I fall asleep in them. For the dark therapy, I would recommend that you wear them for the time that's recommended from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. So even if, and it, you know, it takes a little getting used to walking around in your house wearing sunglasses. They even have ones that if you wear glasses that can fit over your glasses. These are a really inexpensive pair from Amazon. So going back to the 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. thing, if you're driving home at 6 p.m., you're not even home yet, put them on in your car. That's even better because when you're driving, you're being exposed to the sunlight, particularly in the spring and the summertime. So you need them even more in the car than you do in your house with the tungsten lighting. So put them on, you wear them all evening long. I doubt that you really need to sleep in them, but when you wake up, you put them back on and keep them on until 8 a.m. 
And that would be how you could implement dark therapy when you are in a manic phase or hypomanic phase and not and only sleeping for three and four hours a night. The last strategy to control your bipolar disorder is to have a relapse prevention plan. And this is where you would pull out the triggers that we discussed in step one and use them at this point. And you probably wanna get the help of your therapist or doctor to help you brainstorm through some strategies to help you either avoid the triggers altogether or to help you be less reactive to them. Now, this is not a guarantee that you'll never ever have another episode, but it can make the difference in the severity of the episodes or even the timing of the next episode because bipolar disorder is a biological illness that's not solely dependent on your environmental stresses or triggers, but there is the potential to reduce the number of episodes that you have or the severity of them by controlling your your triggers. I hope this was helpful for you. I have the package for you that you can download. Just click on the link um, in the description. And it includes a mood diary, trigger worksheet, um, an activity plan, and a relapse prevention worksheet. If you like this video, click like and leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. Bipolar disorder versus depression. Sometimes it's hard to tell. And that's what I'm talking about in this video. I'm Dr. Tracy Marks. And if you're new here, I talk about mental health education and self-improvement. I produce weekly episodes every Wednesday. So if you don't want to miss one, press subscribe and the notification button as well. Bipolar disorder can first show itself as depression, mania, or hypomania. And if you start out with a depressive episode, you can have that diagnosis for years until you have your first manic or hypomanic episode. Then your diagnosis will change to either bipolar one or bipolar two. But there's some signs that your depression may really be bipolar disorder, even if, you've, if you haven't received that diagnosis yet. And why does this matter? because the treatment for bipolar disorder is different from unipolar depression. So here's five signs that you may really be on the bipolar spectrum, as we now call it. And I base this information on the diagnostic manual that we use and the bipolarity um, index by Dr. Gary Sachs. And the reference to that research article is in the description below. Number one, your first depressive episode occurs before age 20. In bipolar disorder, the average age of onset is between ages 15 and 20. Whereas with unipolar depression, it tends to be between say 30 and 40. Now, this doesn't mean, yes, it's possible that you could have a depressive episode as a child and then not really have anything else happen until your 30s again. But in general, uh, bipolar disorder that includes both depression and mania tends to present itself in the late teen years, whereas unipolar depression, as we call it, where all you have is depressive episodes, tends to occur or present for the first time later in life. Number two, you don't get better with antidepressants, and in some cases, you may even get worse. Antidepressants are more likely to cause mixed states where you may become anxious, agitated, we call it wired but tired, and you could have responded well in the past, but now your depression just can't seem to get better with the antidepressants. 
And it could be because now your bipolar disorder is just starting to become more evident. Number three, you have a family member with bipolar disorder. And this is more important if the, if the family member is a first degree relative, such as a parent or a child. This wouldn't apply to say a cousin. Number four, you have three or more depressive episodes in a five-year time span. Bipolar disorder tends to be cyclical and it recurs on a somewhat regular or frequent basis. So in a typical course, you may have a depressive episode and then that'll be followed by mania or hypomania. Then maybe that one will be followed later on sometime by a depressive episode. And these episodes though can be months or even a year or more apart, but it still just keeps cycling. Whereas with depression alone, you tend to have an episode that may or may not come back at some point, but you don't generally get this pattern of repeating itself unless it's a part of seasonal affective disorder, which is a different entity from singular depression. So when a person has repetitive depressive episodes, we now start to think more along the lines of considering whether the person has a bipolar spectrum illness. And you know, the hypomanic episodes can float by unnoticed. Uh, hypomania generally doesn't cause impairment. And I'm gonna have a future video talking about bipolar one versus bipolar two. But because it doesn't cause the same level of impairment that manic episodes cause, it's possible that you could have a hypomanic episode where you just feel really good on top of the world, doing things you wanna do, no problem, and not really see it as a problem, such that if you really take a step back and look, it really looks like you just had repetitive depressive episodes, but the hypomania just went unnoticed. So that could be a reason why your repetitive depressive episodes may really be a part of bipolar two disorder in this case. Lastly, number five, you take a mood stabilizer and have a full recovery within a month. Now this is still a tricky sign because we will use mood stabilizers as an add-on treatment for treatment resistant depression. Now this is not an absolute. It doesn't mean that if you've ever in your life responded well to a mood stabilizer such as Abilify, Rexulti, um, Seroquel, which we use these drugs for other reasons too. Um, it doesn't mean that if you've done well with one of those, you have bipolar disorder. What this all means is it's just little hints or suggestions that if some of these things um, have uh, been an issue with you, you might want, you and your doctor might want to think about whether or not your illness is really your depression that you're seeing at the moment is really part of a bipolar illness. And why does this matter? Because the way that we treat bipolar disorder is different than the way that we treat depression. And as I've mentioned, some people can do worse. Some people with bipolar disorder can do worse with antidepressants, particularly antidepressants alone. So what your doctor would do differently is either add a mood stabilizer to your antidepressant or nix the antidepressant altogether and use one or even two mood stabilizers to treat you. That's some of the difference that you would see if you were being treated for bipolar disorder versus depression. That's it.